All right, this, uh, today we are going to be looking in the uh, book of 2 Corinthians. We finished up 1 Corinthians last week, and just like we do with each of, uh, with each of these books, um, we start out with an introduction. So today it's going to be introduction, and the next week we'll get into the text of 2 Corinthians. But we need to go back and just kind of catch up where we were as far as what was going on in the life of this church uh, we said 1 Corinthians was really interesting. 1 Corinthians was a church that Paul had, had essentially started and planted. He had spent some time in Corinth teaching and training, and then he uh, went on his way. And we said the reason that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians was for a couple of reasons. First of all, Paul had written an initial letter, not 1 Corinthians, but a letter before that. Uh, and he had written to the Corinthians, and they had responded back to him in a form of a letter. So 1 Corinthians was written for two reasons, and this is just review. First of all, it was written because Paul had heard some things that was going on in the church that he was concerned about. He had received some reports of divisions that had happened in the church. He had received reports of gross sin that was happening, and the church was allowing this sin to happen in the church. Uh, so he was hearing of all of these issues, and that's the first reason he wrote 1 Corinthians. And also because of the letter that they had written him, and he responded to address some of the issues. So the two reasons that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, some of the things that he had heard that was going on in the church, and secondly, because of the letter that uh, he had received from the uh, Corinthians themselves that he was responding to. Um, if you've got a paper on your first part of your paper, we have this paragraph. So after Paul had written what we know as 1 Corinthians, he had sent that letter to them. So after the delivery of the letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul, in his concern for the church, he changes up his itinerary because he wasn't supposed to visit Corinth for a while. But because of the concern for the church, he makes a quick visit of his own to Corinth, kind of surprising the people there. Um, and then afterwards, Paul returned to Ephesus to continue his work in Ephesus. When he was at Ephesus, he wrote another letter, not 2 Corinthians, but he wrote another letter that we do not have. And this letter he refers to as a sorrowful letter. It was a tough letter of rebuke to the church. So afterwards, Paul returned to his work in Ephesus where he wrote a sorrowful letter to the Corinthians that has not been preserved. Um, Paul then departed for Macedonia. Once there, he received a good report from Titus. After Paul had wrote this, this sorrowful letter to the Corinthians, something good happened. Many of them repented. Many of them saw the error of their way. And word got back to Paul from Titus uh, that many of them had uh, changed course. However, there was also some of them that had not changed course. And in fact, there was, it was either a faction that was in the church at Corinth, kind of underlying it and has now come to light, or it was some that had come into the church that was now causing other issues in the church. So Paul... Delivered 1 Corinthians, he makes a quick visit to Corinth, surprising people. He comes back to Ephesus, he writes a very tough letter uh, to them. 
He gets a good report from Titus that they had received uh, that letter. Many of them received that letter. And then Paul writes another letter back to them. And this is our second Corinthians that we have in our Bible. And uh, we'll see the difference in a minute. We'll put up the differences between kind of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But 2 Corinthians is a very kind of a different tone for the majority of the letter. Um, and it's a lot of Paul defending himself uh, and defending his ministry because there had been divisions in Corinth. He did feel that he was attacked personally. Uh, he did feel that there were some people still spreading falsehoods about his life and about his ministry and claiming that he wasn't you know, a true, authentic apostle. So that's what is kind of the content of this letter of 2 Corinthians. It deals primarily with Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church. Um, and in the process, there are several other issues that he deals with. Of course, the Apostle Paul is the author. He was uh, joined by Timothy on this missionary journey when he was writing. Again, he had departed Ephesus to Macedonia, and he's and writing this letter from Macedonia. So on our paper here, we have the occasion. So what prompts this writing of 2 Corinthians? Well, there are several things. First of all, it's when Titus returned and he gave a report, and Paul wanted to respond to the report that Titus had sent. Also, Paul is anticipating another visit to Corinth, a, a longer visit. So he writes this in anticipation of his next visit to the church. Then he writes in light of a collection that the church is taking up for its fellow brothers and sisters in the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was in need of help at the time, and Paul gives them instruction in 2 Corinthians to take up a collection, a love gift, a love offering for the church in Jerusalem. So a lot of, a couple of chapters, Paul deals with taking up the collection and the importance of generosity and giving in the life of the believers. Uh, another occasion is many of them's readiness to embrace what Paul refers to as these false apostles. This group that, again, had either been either raised up in the church and was kind of an underlying thing, or people that had come into the church kind of like, um, kind of like the people in Galatians who were the Judaizers coming in teaching something contrary to the gospel. So he writes warning people of these false apostles who are masquerading as apostles of Christ. So those are some of the reasons that Paul writes uh, this book of 2 Corinthians. Some of the major emphasis in the book of 2 Corinthians is, first of all, Christian ministry as servanthood. Christian ministry as servanthood. And reflecting Christ in one way in light of Christ's sufferings. Because there were some that was claiming that because of Paul's weaknesses and because of the trouble and the hardships that Paul had, that that was actually a rebuke of his ministry. And Paul is writing saying, my hardships and my trials and my weaknesses are not a rebuke of my ministry. My hardships, my trials, and my weaknesses are actually proof of my ministry because I am suffering along with how Christ suffered. And he reveals that it's in his weaknesses 
that Christ is made strong. And it's in his weaknesses that God's grace is sufficient for him. So it knocks the notion that only the perfect are used by God. And it, it knocks the notion that if things don't go good for you, then God's not with you. That's not the case at all. Or if you struggle in areas that God has somehow rejected you. So Paul knocks all of those falsehoods down by saying, even with my human weaknesses, even with my human shortcomings, God proves himself strong and faithful in my life. Even when I'm going through difficult situations and trials and suffering, I look at the sufferings and the trials of Jesus. And I count myself as suffering along with Jesus. So, you know, Paul wasn't a proponent of if you serve Jesus, you'll have, you know, health and wealth and everything will be perfect and you won't have any troubles or trials in life. He was saying the exact opposite. When I'm suffering, when I am boasting in my weaknesses, when I am hurting and lacking and without, then I know that God is with me because when he's with me, he's the strength of my life. So the Christian life is a life of service, not a life of luxury and being served. The Christian life and even Christian ministry is one of sacrifice, not always one of abundance. Because Paul said in Philippians, he said, you know what? He said, I have had abundance. He said, and I've had lack. He said, but I've learned whatever condition I find myself in, whatever state I find myself in, to be content with the Lord. So that expels the notions Christians aren't perfect. Christians don't have a perfect life. Christians still have weaknesses. And Paul boasts in those weaknesses. So that's one of his major emphasis in the letter. Another emphasis that he has in the letter is the greater glory of the New Testament. It's supposed from the internal evidence in the letter that many of the people that were now causing trouble um, were not those that Paul kind of dealt with in the first book that were like idolaters and those that had come out of the pagan temples, but it was actually more of those with a Jewish influence bringing into them an influence again of keeping the law. For Paul had you know, gone through in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he compares the old covenant to the new covenant. He compares the, the condemnation that came from the old covenant with the affirmation that comes in the new covenant, with the, the flesh and the death that came with, with failing to keep the first covenant, to the life and the spirit that now comes with the new covenant. So, so he shows himself as an able minister of the new covenant in contrast with the old. Um, again, it has here the glory of the gospel exhibited in the weakness of its ministers. Um, another emphasis is the gospel as reconciliation. How God in Christ reconciled the world to himself and brought about salvation to a sinful people and a sinful world by dying for their sins, reconciling them, not counting their sins against them in Christ, but now has welcomed us into his family as a new creation. So the new creation life is an emphasis in 2 Corinthians. Uh, and then another emphasis is, again, the church giving to the poor as an expression of generosity. And in this case, not just poor in general, but you know those who were 
brothers and sisters in Christ, other churches who were going through difficulties that they were taking up the collection for, for the church in um, Jerusalem. And the giving should be uh, joyful. The giving should be generous, not under obligation or compulsion. So he really talks about uh, the generosity of the Christian um, in the middle part of the book of 2 Corinthians. So that's some of the major emphasis, and we'll look at some of those texts uh, next week and dig into some of those matters a little more. Um, but if you have your book or your paper, you have the overview of 2 Corinthians. And again, um, re-emphasizing, there's four main uh, issues, four main issues. Number one, it was Paul's change of plans. Because if you remember in our opening statement here, he makes a trip uh, to Corinth. He makes an unexpected quick visit to Corinth. So his itinerary changes, and uh, that was part of one of the issues. And he spends the first part of chapter one or so talking about uh, his change of course. Uh, the second thing, the collection that we talked about. The third thing, his apostleship and defending his apostleship and defending his ministry against those who were attacking him. And then the presence of uh, this Jewish sect that had come in that was causing trouble in the church as well. Um, some specific advice uh, for reading 2 Corinthians. Uh, by any reckoning, 2 Corinthians is not easy to read because you really have to get locked into the personal nature of it. Again, Paul is not set out to teach a theology book in 2 Corinthians, just like he was not really set out to teach a theology book in 1 Corinthians. He was dealing with everyday life, and he was dealing with the issues that was happening, that was happening in the church at the time. 2 Corinthians, we really see Paul's coming through with that relationship. It's a very, very personal letter. And it really takes you if, if you, if you don't have this good grounding as what's going on, you'll kind of be like, why is he saying all these things? You know, what, why does this make sense? So it's, in that sense, it's kind of a difficult book to read because you have to know why he was writing that and the issues against why he was writing that. Um, so it makes it pretty difficult. And some of the reasons why it makes it difficult are some of the things that uh, we've talked about. First and foremost, uh, the intensely personal uh, nature um, of Paul's uh, legacy of letters here in 1 Corinthians, and because we don't have some of the letters that Paul wrote. We don't have that first letter that Paul wrote to them. We don't know what they wrote back to Paul. We do have 1 Corinthians, which was actually the second letter. We don't have the, uh, the harsh letter that Paul writes. But we do have 2 Corinthians, which came after that. Uh, the second reason is the probability that 2 Corinthians, again, is Paul's fourth or fifth letters to the church. Um, third is the question of how these matters come together and understanding how they're placed in the book. And then at the bottom of, of your page here and, and in your book, it says, Be sure not to lose sight of the grandeur of its theology. Because again, Paul is not setting out to write a theology book, but in everything he writes, he's teaching. In everything he writes, he's appealing to the gospel. In everything he writes, he's going back to the principles of who God is and who we are and who the gospel is. So he says, be sure not to lose sight of the grandeur of its theology, 
both of ministry and of the gospel. Here Paul picks up the theology of the cross as applied to ministry. Why do we as ministers do what we do? It's because of the gospel. Um, And then he ends up with God's glory and the power of the gospel. I, I love this paragraph. It's the last paragraph under specific advice for reading 1 Corinthians. It says, God's glory and the power of the gospel is not minimized, but enhanced through the weaknesses of the jars of clay. He says, that's what we are. He says, we are earthen vessels. We are jars of clay. But on the inside of us is a great treasure. On the inside of us is a great light. On the inside of us is something invaluable that you can't put a price tag on. So one of his emphasis here is to not focus on the external. Don't think somebody's approved or disapproved of God by the external. Don't think people are approved or disapproved by God because of their weaknesses, because of their physical conditions, because of the conditions of their life, or because of of the situations that they're dealing with. He says, for we are just jars of clay, but inside of us, there's a treasure. And it's a treasure that Christ died for. And it's a treasure that Christ gives value to each and every person because we have been reconciled unto God through the death of Christ. So he says the gospel is not minimized through our weaknesses. The gospel is enhanced through our weaknesses because the gospel doesn't rob God of glory by saying, look at us. The gospel gives God glory by saying, look at me. Look at how unworthy I might feel. Look at, look at the situation and the weaknesses that I might deal with here. But look what Christ has done for me through the gospel. So he proclaims that message. He says, such ministry is in keeping with the crucified one. Hence, Paul reportedly glories in his weaknesses. Not because he liked to suffer. Nobody likes to suffer but because it meant that attention was focused on the Savior and not the messenger. That I can glory and boast in my weaknesses because when I glory and boast in my weaknesses, I'm ultimately glorying and boasting in Christ because when I am weak, He is strong. I love that. I love that message that He portrays here. He says, The passage dealing with the glory of the new covenant through Christ and the Spirit is worth the price of the book. So read and enjoy. Because 2 Corinthians is that precious. Um, If you have a paper on the back of your paper, again, I just want to re-emphasize a couple of things. First of all, the audience. The first nine chapters, um, the tone of the book is different than chapters 10 through 13. Uh, The first part of the book, chapters 1 through 9, he refers to you all, and that is the majority of the people. You all, y'all. First to y'all, not not them, but he refers to y'all. 
So the you all is the majority. And the majority of the people, after Paul's letter of rebuke, they began to turn their way. In fact, Paul even mentions, I think it's in chapter 2, about, he said, some of the people that you've dealt with, because remember in 1 Corinthians, there were some people that the church needed to deal with because of their sin. He says, you might have dealt with them a little too harsh, you know, let up on them a little bit uh, because they had taken Paul too seriously and was really harsh on some of the people in the church. And Paul's like, I, I think they're good now. You know, I think you, you can treat them as a brother uh, again in Christ. So there is a level of repentance from the church in some of their ways. And Paul expresses that. He expresses thanks for them in several instances. So that was the majority of the church. In chapter 10, we see a, a significant change in Paul's tone to the fact that some people, you know, think that maybe this was added to or, or 10 through 13 might have even been a part of that rebuke letter. But I think it really is just Paul dealing with two different groups of people. The first group, the majority, he deals with in kind of a jubilant tone, giving thanks and appreciation, affirming them. Then he deals with the sum of them, the minority of them, in chapters 10 through 13. Here he has a sad tone and a severe tone to them. Um, and does not mix many words about them and tells them exactly who they are. So that's so when you're reading one part and you're coming out of chapters 8 and 9 talking about the collection and then you come into chapter 10 and Paul's like really you know really angry uh, it's because of the two different audiences that he's really addressing in this book. Uh, and then kind of an outline there's three major points and then a conclusion or three major parts of the book. The first part of the book goes from chapter 1 to chapter 7. That's the first part of the book of 2 Corinthians. It goes from chapter 1 to chapter 7. And chapters 1 through chapter 7 is Paul giving a defense of his legitimacy as an apostle. Um, he shows his ministry, again, as one that he can boast in Christ about. He shows his ministry as one of the new covenant. Um, he shares his encouragement in his ministry, that he's being encouraged by some of the things he sees. Um, the church discipline uh, and the response of the church, Paul's joy over the church because they repented. Some of these things are in the first seven chapters, and we'll break those down next week when we actually get into the text. But the first seven chapters is the first division of the book. The second division of the book happens in chapters 8 and 9. And chapters 8 and 9 deal with the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. And he talks about the collection as the grace of God, that because of their generosity and their giving, God's grace is extended to the church in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 9, he primarily deals with Christian generosity. And that Christian generosity is, is not with a negative attitude, that they were supposed to give. You know, that's the scripture where uh, he says that God loves a cheerful giver. They were supposed to give cheerfully. They were supposed to give joyfully. They were supposed to give generously. Um, and he talks about the foundation of Christian giving, that it wasn't out of 
obligation that they were giving here. It wasn't out of manipulation or compulsion. It was simply out of their heart. And that's, again, one of the principles of the gospel. One of the principles of the gospel is we should be generous because God is generous to us. We should forgive others because Christ forgave us. You may say, well, people, well, they haven't done anything to deserve my forgiveness. We haven't done anything to deserve God's forgiveness, but he does it through Jesus. So we should, we should make peace with other people. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5 says that God through Christ made peace with us. So again, he's emphasizing that what we do in our forgiveness, in our giving, in everything we do is a reflection of what Christ has done for us. And if God freely and generously did all that for us, then how can we withhold doing that and giving that to others? And that's the basis and the heart of the gospel. So he appeals to the church in Corinth regarding the collection that they were supposed to take up. Uh, The next thing, uh, the third major section, is that chapter 10 through uh, 13, the first part of chapter 13. And that's uh, to the rebellious minority in the church or Again, those that could have come into the church trying to cause uh, problems. So he takes that harsh tone in chapters 10 through 13. And it takes the tone again of him defending himself against what they're saying about him. So a lot of their attacks were against Paul himself. But when Paul sees the attack against himself, he ultimately sees the attack against the gospel. Because that's what Paul's doing. He's preaching the gospel. Paul's giving his life. For the gospel. So the attack on Paul is an attack on the gospel. So um, he gives the defense of his authority, uh, the defense of him boasting in Christ, the defense of his service and suffering, uh, the defense of how God makes him strong in the midst of weakness, and then an appeal to the rebellious. So those are your three major sections. Chapters 1 through 7, where Paul is rejoicing over the church and uh, again, defending himself as an apostle because confidence in Paul had lacked. Because of the previous letter, there were divisions. One says, I'm of Paul. One says, I'm of Paulus. One says, I'm of Peter. So he's trying to regain their confidence in him. That's the first seven chapters. Chapters eight and nine deal with the collection that he's taking up, expressed through Christian generosity, and then the rebuke of this, this rebellious minority in the church as well. And then he closes uh, in the last part of chapter 13 with just some um, closing greetings. Here is a contrast between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and we've alluded to some of this as well. 1 Corinthians was very practical. Uh, remember when we went through 1 Corinthians, he deals with this issue in this chapter, 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 and it was how do you do this? Here's how you fix this problem. Here's how you settle issues between Christians. Here's how you deal with the person that's uh, in an incestuous relationship. Uh, Here's how you do worship. Here's how you stop abusing the gifts, and is very practical. And he does a lot of teaching and a lot of instructing in the book. 2 Corinthians is more personal. It's not so much do it this way, here's how you resolve this, here's how you do that. It's very personal. 
He shares his heart with them. And, and that's what I love about Scripture. I, I, I just love the, as I said in our first session, the Scripture is divine because it's God-breathed and it's God's Word to us. But the Scripture is very human because it deals with a certain historical setting and things that were going on. And, and even though the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of the Bible, the humanity of every writer comes through. So you see Paul when he's mad. You see Paul when he's hurt. You see Paul when he's rejoicing. You see Paul when he's overcome with praise uh, for God. You see Paul here as a pastor with a pastor's heart who loves the people. And some of those people have felt hurt by Paul, and Paul has felt hurt by some of those people. But you see his heart coming through. And I think that's just a beautiful, and it, it, it just gives you a sense of the humanity um, of Paul and the relationship that he had with these churches. So, whereas 1 Corinthians is very practical, 2 Corinthians is very personal. Um, while 1 Corinthians is very systematic, 2 Corinthians is very sentimental. 1 Corinthians, the major influence was the pagan influences. If you remember the meat that was sacrificed unto to idols and the men going to uh, the prostitutes in the uh, pagan temples and uh, the over-realized spirituality of some of the people there. So a lot of it we saw the pagan influence of Corinth. Here you see more of a uh, Jewish influence and a little bit more of the keeping of the, the law in 2 Corinthians as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians, we get a sense of Paul's mind. You know, he's fixing problems, he's dealing with issues, he's the problem solver. In 2 Corinthians, it's again Paul's heart that comes through, not just his head. 1 Corinthians, the main issue was the character of the church. The church was acting like the world, they were acting foolish, there was sin running rampant, they, they didn't understand who they were in Christ they were abusing the gifts. They were abusing one another you know, at the communion. They were excluding other people. The rich was excluding the poor. And so 1 Corinthians dealt with the character of the church. 2 Corinthians, Paul's defending his character and who he is and his life and his ministry. So there you see a little bit of the differences between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians uh, there. And then finally... Oh, we have, what is the doctrinal value? We know it's very personal. We know it's very sentimental. We know Paul's heart comes through. We know Paul defends his apostleship. But in doing that, Paul teaches a lot of great doctrinal truths in this book that we apply to our Christian faith. Uh, one of these is in chapter 3 when he contrasts the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. When he contrasts how condemnation came by the law, but affirmation comes by the Spirit. Uh, and walking after the flesh versus walking after the Spirit. Chapter 5 uh, is a tremendous chapter where it talks about Christ's sacrificial death for all of us. How he died for us. Now one died for all and all died in Christ. And all died so that we can live for him. And we could be a new creation in Christ Jesus. How the old things are passed away. And behold, all things become new. And it's in that chapter 
where, and that, that, that's probably one of my favorite sections in all the Bible, when it says, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world. And I'm, I think I'll take a moment next week and kind of maybe adjust some uh, preconceived ideas um, about the cross. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself giving the ministry of reconciliation. We're in Christ. He does not count our sins against us, but we are reconciled and made at peace with God. He goes on to talk about, after reconciliation, he goes on to talk about how repentance, true repentance, is expressed in a lifestyle of holiness now. Where instead of you know living like we used to, now we have a transformed heart and we've come apart from those things that were out in the world that used to control us. Uh, life and death, he talks about. That, that's the section where he talks about putting off this earthly tent. But yet when we put off this earthly tent, we have a heavenly building that God has for us. So even if we suffer in this life, there's glory in the next life. That even if we have hardships in this life, there is victory in the next life. And that even, even if we get to the point where we give our lives in this, our life is not over, for we live forever in an eternal house. So he gives a great encouragement there. Uh, he kind of ends with a mention of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then throughout is really the nature of a true apostle, or the nature, I would just say, of a true minister of the gospel, which also equates down to the nature of, of all of us who are Christians and shining as lights in this world. So I want to just challenge you this week, if you have some time this week, start reading through some of that in uh, 2 Corinthians and look for some of this. Whenever you come across a very personal note that Paul writes to them, so you know where it's written, when you come across some of these great themes in the Scripture, you, you can recognize that you can say, oh yeah, Paul's defending himself here. Or, you know, Paul's encouraging us to be generous here. Or, Paul's really going after some of these people uh, here. And I think that when we understand this as a whole, obviously we're going to understand the text a little better. So um, that's our introduction for 1 Corinthians. Uh, next week, what I plan to do, instead of going chapter by chapter like we did in 1 Corinthians, which that demanded we go chapter by chapter, I'm just going to pull out some main passages from each of these sections and just highlight uh, some of those main things that I want to highlight in the book. So read back, read back over this. Um, if you didn't get one of these papers, there may, be, there may still be some more out there. If not, we can make some copies of them. Uh, go ahead and start reading 2 Corinthians, and we're going to dig into some of this stuff uh, next week. Any